as we continue our study through this marvelous and, and wonderful book. We, we ended uh, kind of towards the beginning of chapter 2, uh, verse 4, if, I, if I've got that marked correctly. We've gone through all of chapter 1, which uh, provides some context of what it is we're looking, where we begin looking at in chapter 2. and verse 11 of chapter 1, uh, Christ tells John to write what he sees in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. These are the churches that we begin reading about, first beginning with Ephesus in chapter 2. And in verse 1, And unto the angel, the messenger of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars of his right hand, which he told us in verse 20, verse 20 of chapter 1, the seven stars are the angels, the messengers of the seven churches. So he that holds the messengers in his hand, in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which are the seven churches, he that does that, which is Christ, says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. He knows what they, what they have done, the, the works that they have performed, their works, their labor, and their patience. But we noted, uh, we noted previously that, that, that the Thessalonians, um, Paul notes the Thessalonians' uh, labor of love, their work of patience, where it's Second Thessalonians, I can't remember exactly where we where we noted that. Um, I must be first. First Thessalonians. Um, there, yes, First Thessalonians one three. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were missing. They were missing those things. The, they had works patience and labor, but they were missing those other items. And the greatest of those, we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, is love. Is love. They were missing those things, and the greatest of those is love. They had done many marvelous things, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. They loved Jesus, and they loved his teachings. They loved the word of God, but there was something that they were missing. Verse 4, where we left off last time. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. They left their first love. There were, uh, they, they loved Christ's teachings. They were what we would consider a doctrinally sound church. They loved the teachings of the Lord Jesus, and they, and they showed that they understood them very well. They, they rebuked, uh, they, they found those that, were, that claimed to be apostles, false apostles. They discovered them and has found them to be liars. They labored for Christ's namesake and had not fainted, but they had left their first love. And that, that is, as can be told by their works, there wasn't love for Christ. They had that, but it was love for the brethren. And, and, and as always, I didn't mention it at the beginning, as always, if there's any comments, 
questions, anything you'd like to add, any, anything you think I missed, feel free to chime right in. No, no, no offense uh, by me will absolutely be taken. Um, I know some have uh, told me afterward, hey, I didn't want to uh, interrupt, I didn't want to uh, make you feel like you missed something or anything like that. By no means will I feel like that at all. This is, this is, this is the time for uh, open discussion. That's, that's why we have this. They were missing. They left their first love. We know uh, that we know from history that John was one of one of the pastors at the Church of Ephesus. He and he is called the Apostle of Love. Let's note just a few a few places. Come to the Gospel according to John, and then we'll also go to First John, where this love is discussed. John chapter fifteen. John chapter fifteen, and verse, beginning with verse twelve. This is the Lord Christ speaking. Judas has already left. Judas has already left the midst, so it is Christ and the eleven. It's Christ and the, and the eleven uh, disciples that, that were the, the true uh, followers of Christ, Judas being the son of perdition, um, uh, a devil, as Christ has pointed out previously. Here in verse 12, he tells them, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Christ loves us with a great and marvelous love, such a love that he says there is no greater love. There is no greater love. In verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's how Christ loved us, and he says you ought to love one another with that same love. Love for the brethren. Love for the brethren is a, is a great and marvelous thing that we are exhorted to. And it's a wonderful thing that we have the ability to do. Uh, you and I, brother, discussed probably the last time I was here that if it wasn't for Christ, most of us here wouldn't know each other. Yeah. Most of us here, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know anything about each other. Our paths would mostly be across. But because of the Lord Jesus, we have a love for one another. Right. We have, we have the greatest thing in common. Our lives may not have anything else in common, but we have two things, love for one another and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, sir. Something else to point out, brother, something that we talked about last time as well. There's not, a lot of things are talked about in the Bible about what a good Christian should do. But there's very few things that talk about how to prove that they really are a Christian. Exactly. And the love of the brethren is one of the things that it's mentioned multiple times, not just once, but multiple times, as the litmus test of how you can tell that a man is a Christian, a true follower of Christ. That is his love for his brother. And we're, we're going to get, First John uh, is where, where that's discussed a lot. And I, we're, 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 we're going to get there. Um, oh, first, hey, no, no problem. You knew where I was going. You knew where, you, you, you knew where we were going. Um, uh, first John, when uh, preachers of old, when people would come to them seeking counsel, uh, I, I'm concerned that I that I'm not saved. I, I need an I don't under I don't know if I'm saved or not. First John would, in many instances, be where they took them. First John is is can be used in that regard. First John, just like all of the other epistles, is written to Christians. 
but it is, we're still told by, by Peter to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. There is still self-examination. And in 1 John, that, we'll, we'll get to that. I, won't, I don't want to jump ahead here. But uh, uh, verse 17 in this John 15 is another, another passage in the same context. These things I command you, that you love one another. Uh, Christ is making a, 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 a purposeful uh, teaching there. We have very few commandments in the New Testament. Uh, there never once in any of the epistles that I can think of do any of the apostles say, I command you. Uh, the Lord commands you. But here, He commands us to love one another. It is something of the utmost importance. It is by this love that men will know that we are His disciples. Uh, that, that, that may be in this context, and I didn't have it marked down. Um, by this will, will they know that you are my disciples indeed, if you love one another. Maybe, that, maybe that's in 1 John. But it, it, also in 1 John, come, come to 1 John, so that we can see other passages that are described that describe the love for the brethren and this uh, holds the love of the brethren in this high esteem. They had done many marvelous things, but the Lord says, nevertheless, this, if you, if this doesn't get fixed, I will remove your candlestick and we'll get, we'll get there. Chapter 3 of 1 John, in verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This is not talking about the born-again Christian as a whole. This is talking about the new man that we're given, that is created in righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4.24. This is our new man. Our new man is born of God, and our new man cannot sin. But our old man, the sin that dwells in us, he is what sins. Our new man does not, but our old man still does. Paul Paul talks about this battle that goes on inside the, inside the born-again Christian having two natures. The thing, the thing which I don't want to do, that I do. And the thing that I want to do, that I do not. For in me I find the desire, but the ability to perform I find not. We can, we, when we're given a new heart, our desires change. We know that something's wrong and we want to do right. But just within ourselves, we can't accomplish that. We don't have the power within ourselves to overcome the old man. That is why it is God that works in us, both to will and to do, of His good pleasure, of His His to to accomplish His purposes. And we and I think we've looked at it previously in Job. I believe it's Eliphaz in Job 15, where Eliphaz is wrong in many instances. Job's three friends are not perfect in their theology. In fact, their theology is way off. But in this regard, Job, Job's friend Eliphaz was correct. God does not trust his saints on their own. That is why he must work. That is why he works in us to will and to do. He works in us to, to accomplish that which is well pleasing in his sight. It is he that does those things. It is, it is the same reason the elders in the book of Revelation, which we'll get to at some point in the future, it is why they, the elders, the 24 elders, cast their crowns at the foot of the Lord. Because they're not my works, they're yours. It is he who has wrought all our works in us. 
Isaiah 26, 12. It is He who deserves the credit for all of those. He works it in us. He gives the ability and the desire to do it. And, and uh, all of those things are ultimately Him. Then He still gives us reward. He still gives us reward. That's what those crowns are representing that the 24 elders are wearing. The works that they, that, that, uh, that they have performed in this life. Where we are given great and marvelous rewards now and in the future for what we do now. But it is not ultimately us that deserves those rewards. It is the Lord Christ who works those things in us. Verse 9. Our new man doesn't commit sin because he can't. He's created in righteousness and true holiness. In this, verse 10, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not, doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth not his brother. Loving not your brother is an example. It is a, an evidence of not being a child of God. That is what, that's what John is getting at here. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. As Christ loved us. Same, same commandment. Same, same apostle that was given these words in John 15. Is the same apostle that's given these words in 1 John. For this uh, not as came. Who was of that wicked one? If there's ever any question of whether Cain was a saved man or not, he was not. He was of that wicked one. He's of the he's a child of the devil. And slew his brother. This is an example of not loving your brother. Killing him is not a loving thing to do. Slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. He hated his brother. Because his brother performed a good thing. His brother understood that it was, a, it was an animal sacrifice that the Lord was looking for. The shedding of blood. Not a gift from the cursed earth. Not a gift of the cursed earth, which is what Cain offered. A work of his own hands as opposed to a lamb. As opposed to an animal. As opposed to blood being shed. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know that? Because we love the brethren. See the test? See, see why the preachers of old would take, would take people that were concerned about their salvation to this, to this book? That's how we know. That is the litmus test. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. He's living. He's living like a child of the devil if he loves not his brother. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in them. Now, that doesn't mean somebody that commits murder at some point in time isn't a child of God. Paul, we'll look at him later on this, later on this morning. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul says he's a pattern. He is an example for us. Paul was a murderer. We'll, we'll examine that a little closer this morning. So was David, a man after God's own heart. Certainly a saved man, but he was a murderer. Having Uriah put, put to death uh, without any witnesses. Thinking at that point in time probably that he got away with it. Until Nathan came and said, Thou art, and gave him the parable. And he said, Oh, that, that man deserves to die and to pay fourfold whatever, for all that he did. And then Nathan points out, Thou art the man. You are the man. And 
he understood all that all that he had done and that he had been found out. He, he no doubt knew what he had done was wrong. Full of guilt was he. I cannot imagine the, the conviction that had been laid on his heart for all that he had accomplished. All, all, that, all that he had done. But that is a litmus test. It is a test to see whether, whether there is eternal life in the person or not. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And remember, this is written to Christians. The author and the recipient are, are both Christians. He laid down his life for Christians. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Same love. Christ, either the way Christ loved us, he laid down his life for us, is the same love we ought to have for one another. But whoso hath this world's good, that is, whosoever has has something in this world, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels from of compassion. That is, I've got what I need. I've got more than I need. I've got abundance in this world. And my brother, my brother, this isn't, this is within the kingdom. This isn't, uh, this isn't non-Christians taking advantage of Christians. This is brother to brother. Has need. And we and we don't and we don't share. We don't make sure that they're taken care of. How dwelleth the love of God in Him? Lots of lots of uh, exhortations found here. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just love in word and word and tongue. Don't just say it, but also do it. Love love primarily in the Scriptures is not a feeling. It isn't a fuzzy, warm, comforting that, that we get uh, butterflies in the, in the stomach. It's an action. Isaac saw his uh, who would become his wife. Uh, her, is it Rebecca? Um, sorry, that name. Uh, I don't have any of these written down, so, so the, uh, the name slipped my mind for a moment. He saw her. They got married and he loved her. He didn't know her. It's an action. It was an action. He loved her. He 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 put he, uh, put her before himself with a sacrificial love that's being described of here. I, I haven't checked that word in the in the, in the uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's agapao, the same the same love that's spoken of here. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Loving the brethren. If we have abundance in this world, making sure that they're taken care of. That's how we, that's how we know. That's how we know. In fact, that's the whole point of uh, first, first John. I have written this so that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Where is that? And that's got to be in the first chapter. I have written this that ye may know that you have eternal life. Um, I apologize. I, I'm not not seeing that. I thought I would have underlined underlined that, and, and it may be maybe later on um, in First John. But it's a verse, verse, verse. There it is. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, and if any man sin, we have a verse two. And he is the. Brother, 
Either way, it's in there somewhere. Um, I've written unto you fathers. Regardless, um, uh, that, that is, uh, he has written unto Christians that they may know that they have eternal life. That they may know, not, not, well, we think. He's written a test for them that they may know that they have eternal life. A litmus test. And, and in, in 1 John 4, a similar, a similar reading, 1 John 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not God, for he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. No doubt, uh, we have heard, well, God is love, so he must love everyone the same. But that's not even what this passage is talking about. It's still talking about love for the brethren. Not everyone is a brother, we know that. Not everyone is a brother in Christ. Women, you are brethren in Christ, you are included here. But not everyone is in Christ. This isn't talking about love for them. Are we to love them? Yes. But there's a difference in the love. There's a difference. We don't, we don't love them like we love a brother. We love them that we ought to tell them the truth. And that's what, that's what the prophets of old did. Christ did that in many instances. He loved the people, so he told them the truth. See, today, we think, love, we think of love as acceptance. Mm. Oh, if you don't accept me, you don't love me. You hate me if you don't affirm my actions, my behaviors. But to affirm actions that will condemn one to hell is a hateful thing. If I'm running towards a cliff, what's the loving thing to do? It's to tell me to stop and that there's a cliff on the other side. I'm just I'm going to plunge myself to death unless someone stops me. That's what the prophets of old did. Christ did that in many, in many instances. When he said, unless ye repent, ye shall likewise perish, those 16 that the Tower of Siloam fell upon, that was a temporal death. That was an earthly death. We don't know anything about their spiritual state. They may have been saved, they may not have been. That wasn't what Christ was talking about. He was talking about a temporal and earthly death that unless they changed their ways, they would also perish an earthly death because they wouldn't uphold their end of the covenant. Their end of the Mosaic covenant, it was a covenant of works. They did it, God would bless them. If they didn't do it, God would curse them. All of those blessings and cursings were in the land, in the land that I give your fathers. I'll, I'll give you a great harvest. I'll give you lots of material blessings. You'll be a great nation. Or you won't. I will bring you down. I will curse you. I will curse your land. It shall be as brass. There will be no rain. All of all of those uh, all of those cursings, Deuteronomy 28 being an example. I think Leviticus 26 is another one uh, is another example of that. Either either way, this uh, the love that that we're discussing. We continue on. Verse nine. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not only the expiation, as some of your new Bibles will have that word translated, not just the satisfaction, but also the satisfaction for the wrath of God. 
God has wrath and he hates sin. And if it wasn't for the Lord Christ, his wrath would be upon us. But because of what the Lord Jesus did, his, not only is the debt paid, but the wrath is gone. We are saved from wrath through him, as we've, we've noted in the past, Romans 5, 10, I believe it is. It's around, it's around there. We shall be saved. We are saved from wrath through the Lord Christ. He's the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. If we're, that, if we're held in that high esteem, if each one of us is held in that high esteem by God, how can we not hold each other to that same, to, to that same type of love? If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love another, one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. And in verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that hateth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? It makes perfect sense. How can you say you love somebody that you've never seen if you, if you don't walk in the ways that he has laid out? How can you say you love somebody you've never seen when the one you're supposed to love that's right in front of you that you have seen you don't love? Time and time again, this is, this is given to us. It, it, is, it is a very important thing that we take note of. And this commandment have we from him that he, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This is what the Ephesians had left off. The church in Ephesus, I, I should say, not, not all of the Ephesians. Yes, sir. Chapter 5, verse 13, I think is what you're looking for. These things have I written unto you that believe. These are, this is written to Christians on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on, that you may continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. They already believe. We, we don't just believe once and stop believing. We believe once, and we continue on believing. That is the evidence, and, and 1 John 5, 1 discusses that very thing. Whosoever believeth, present tense, you're doing it now, started at some point in the past, you'll continue. It's, it's present, continu present tense, continuous action. You will continue to do it on into the future. That Jesus is the Christ, is born. Some completed tense, happened sometime in the past. Are you believing in Christ now? You were born again sometime in the past. It is born of God. That uh, is the same thing that's being discussed in verse 13. Those that believe will continue on believing, and those that believe have eternal life, that we may know that we have eternal life. That is what I was looking for. Thank you. Back to our... Back to our, our verse, uh, or, or our passage in Revelation chapter 2. This is the first love that they had left off, a love for the brethren. They were cold to each other, cold-hearted. There was no care about one another. They wanted to be right. They loved, they loved the doctrines. They loved being doctrinally correct. And this is, is something to watch out for. It wouldn't be in the Word of God if it wasn't something to watch out for. It wasn't something to, to have to have in mind. Remember, therefore, because of that, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. 
Wait, I thought we only needed to repent once as children of God. <laughs> Our life is a life of repentance. A life of, of well, re repentance isn't something that we confess to do one time. Repentance literally means a changing of the mind. We're constantly having to change our mind. Not only because we're fallible men, and, and we may be wrong in our thinking, but also because of the, the things that we do. Are, some of you have, have been Christians longer than you haven't been. I myself am not in that boat yet. Lord willing, I will be in that boat at some point. But I spent 20... What am I, 29, 26 years walking, walking after the prince of the power of the air, walking after the course of this world. Think about how much was implanted in my brain. The, just the natural behaviors that were taught in this world before the Lord opened my eyes to the truth. And I started reading. And I wanted to understand it. And at that point, there was, a, there was a changing of the mind that began, that continues. Sometimes we fall back into those old ways. And even, even when, when uh, you've been a Christian longer than you haven't been, there is still change that has to be made. That's what, that's what is going on with these Christians. They have fallen back into the old ways of not loving the brethren. It is something that has to be worked on. It is something that has to be remembered. And they had forgotten. They had left off their first works, the, the first works of loving the brethren. And the removing of the candlestick is not removal of salvation. We cannot be unsaved. Once one, those for whom Christ died, he said he won't lose a single sheep. That's not, remember the candlesticks are the church. The church in Ephesus will be removed. Not that there wouldn't be Christians in Ephesus, but there wouldn't be a church. There would not be a local body that would gather together, had covenanted together, been baptized in the name of the Lord Christ, and had covenanted together to worship God out of His Word. There may be some people that get together for a Bible study, but that in and of itself doesn't does not make a local New Testament body. They are Christians that gather together, but their candlestick would be removed unless they unless they repent, unless they change their ways, unless they, they begin to fix this thing that Christ laid against them. But this thou hast, something I've, I've noted here, Christ doesn't end. He doesn't end with the bad news. He begins with the good news. Hey, you've done some great things. You've done a lot of good things. Remember, it's him that works that in them. He doesn't praise himself for what he's done because it is still them that does it, but it is him that works, works it in them. He praises them for the good works that they've done. He tells them about the bad news, what they still need, to, what they really need to fix, lest Christ remove their candlestick. But it doesn't end with the bad news. He gives them, a, and I see this as an uplifting note. Hey, you've got something you really need to work on, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to leave you with some good news. You've done this. But this thou hast. This is a good work that you've also done. That thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Christ has, he, he has some strong hatred 
is some strong hatred here for the Nicolaitans. Now, reading on this, some commentators believe this to be the, te the teachings of Nicholas, who I believe was a deacon in the book of Acts. I, I don't see it that way, and many commentators don't see it that way either, but some do. This, uh, the, the Greek term behind Nicolaitans is destruction of people. That's what it li could literally be translated to. So it isn't tied to a person, it is a doctrine, it is a teaching. It could also be rendered people rulers. This is where, uh, where many commentators and myself believe the, uh, the clergy being above the flock, running the flock, being the, the, the dictator, if you will. Oh, you're just, you're, you're just in the congregation. I'm the one that's been ordained. <clears throat> this is where I believe that began. That whole idea of people ruling. Somebody ruling over the people rather than the people ruling themselves, which is what is taught in the scriptures. The church being self-governing. But this is where the clergy, the, these people taught that the clergy would rule. There's only one ruler over the church, and that's the Lord God. It is the Lord Christ, and that is why he hates it. Because one man, while, while we may stand behind the pulpit, and while, while the, the pastor may be the chief elder, he's a, he's a, a sinful man just like the rest of us. He doesn't uh, get the, the one ruling over the entire church. Look at the church in Rome. They've got, they've got such a hierarchy that I don't even know all the levels that go into it, from the Pope down to the Cardinals down to the diocese and all, all of that. You don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. You see pastors or bishops and, and the congregation, and the congregation being of one heart, of one mind, of a single, singleness of heart, all, all of that, meaning that the church was self-governing, not, not having people rulers. <coughs> he that hath an ear, here we're still a few minutes. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So he again acknowledges, he that has an ear to hear. These were Christians he was speaking to. They all had been born again. Otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. Now, remember when Christ acknowledged that, his, that the disciples had been born again in Matthew 13, 15, I believe it is. But you have ears to hear and eyes to see. He acknowledges that they have been given ears to hear and eyes to see, but yet they understood, they understood not so many things that he said. Even after his resurrection, he tells them, Did it not behoove Christ to suffer? Thus it was written. And always, over and over and over again, teaching. Because they didn't understand. We, in the same way, don't understand. We still have to have our eyes open to the Scriptures. Even though we've been born again. Even though we have the new man. Even though we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit still has to grant understanding. Uh, that is, uh, as, a, as a personal practice, every time before I open the scriptures, I ask, I acknowledge the Lord in my reading and ask that he open my eyes to the scriptures that I may understand them. Uh, it, isn't, it isn't the Gnostic thing. It isn't, I lay my hands on it and I absorb it through osmosis. 
still have to read, still have to uh, read for read for understanding, read for comprehension. But though the one that gives me that understanding, the one that gives me the ability to do that, who opens my eyes to, oh, hey, that that's talking about this, and that's references that over there, this and that, it's not me. It's the Lord God who gives, who opens my eyes and, and gives me that under, that understanding, just as He has with all of you. That is why He says, "He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches." To him that overcometh. Try and finish. We got six six minutes. To him that overcometh, will I give to eat of the tree of life. The tree of life. Now come back to, to Genesis. Come back to Genesis. I believe it's uh, chapter the end of chapter three. Yes, chapter three. And verse 24, you remember there were two trees in the garden. There were lots of trees in the garden. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were told that they couldn't eat of. They were never told that they couldn't eat of the tree of life. They just didn't. They just didn't. And, and then God drove them out in verse 24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The tree of life, while, while may have literally been destroyed during the flood, it kept the way, of the, the way of the tree of life. Who is the way? Christ. The tree of life is, is a picture of the Lord Jesus. He is the one who grants us that everlasting life. He came that we might have life and that we might have life more abundantly. But there is also a literal tree of life. It is still there. It is still in the heavenly Jerusalem. It exists. <coughs> there will be, a, in the, later on in the book of the Revelation, we'll see during the Millennial Kingdom that, that he gives those that, uh, those that are still in their fleshly bodies, who won't be us, those that are still in their fleshly bodies in the Millennial Kingdom, the ability to come and eat of the tree of life. The ability to come up and down to eat of the tree of life that is by the river river of life i can't remember exactly how it's worked but you see it in there that they that they are the ones that eat you and i have no need to eat of the tree of life we will have eternal bodies we will have been, uh, the the redemption of the purchased possession will have happened for us body soul and spirit our soul is being saved now as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Our, our spirit has been saved. That's the new man that's given to us uh, in the new birth that's created in righteousness and true holiness. The body will be saved in the day that we are given a new body, whether that be uh, Christ coming to us and we're, we're, we're changed uh, in the twinkling of an eye or uh, um, we go to him, and then he gives that new body at his coming. Um, whenever he gives, uh, whenever the rest of the saints are given a new body at that point in time. That will be the full redemption of the purchased possession that's spoken of in Romans chapter 8. But the tree of life, he will give, give to those that overcome. He will give them to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise used to be in 
Hades, the unseen world, Abraham, we've, we've discussed it before, uh, Abraham's bosom, where Lazarus went when the rich man in Luke 16 went, went and was in torments. He was in what we think of as hell. It was a prison. But technically they were both in Hades. They were both in an unseen world where they could see each other. Christ, when he died, it says that he descended into hell. He descended into Hades. He descended into the unseen world. It wasn't to preach to the rich man and those that were locked in prison with him. It was to preach unto David and to Lazarus and to the saints that had perished prior to his death. Their sin had not been paid. Their sin debt had not been paid. Sin cannot dwell with God. He went down there and told him after his death what he had done. And Ephesians 4 tells us that he led captivity captive. He tells the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is where paradise was. First Corinthians, did you have something? No, no, I was agreeing. And yep. that's exactly what we were talking about the thief on the cross. Yep. Today, this day, yep. we thou be with me in paradise. Exactly. Not future, but today. Exactly. And First Corinthians 12, when Paul says I was caught, the, the man caught up to the third heaven, caught up to paradise. Christ, when he led captivity captive, Paradise is the paradise of God. It is heaven now. That is where, when we when we die, our debt was paid two thousand years ago. That is where we go. We go. Uh, it, is a, it is a blessed thing to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Amen. There, when he went to preach to the souls of prison, it was like a prison for those for David and Jeremiah and Isaiah. It was like a prison because they couldn't leave. They couldn't go anywhere. They could see those in torments. They themselves were not in torments. Christ went down and preached to them. This is what I have done. The gospel is not an invitation. It is a declaration. I declare unto you the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. It is a declaration of what Christ has done. Already done. It is an accomplished. It is a, a, an accomplished gospel. This, it is a gospel of good news. You, you throw away. You may have one. All the spam mail that you get. Hey, you may have won a million dollars. Rip it up, throw it in the trash. But if you got something that said you have won, you'll look at it. You'll figure out what it's about. That is what the good news is. And those that overcome, he gives to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. We'll pick up at verse verse eight next time. Thank you for your time and attention this morning. Funny that JC had a recent article on how publishers 